please. Do I now? Thank you, darling. Amen. Amen. Missy, Missy Lane got a, a bunch of pictures. I, I, wet, I looked at them and wept, Missy Lane. So, Yeah, so if you have some old photographs from, from the cabinet shop days, or for that matter, just any time during our past 20-year history, um, we're going to try to uh, put something together with those, kind of a little walk down memory lane. And, and um, amen. Amen. I'm excited about the, uh, the third, and, and um, I'm excited about where we've come from, and I'm excited about where we're headed. Amen? Amen? For those of you who are new to us, you know, we say good things coming a lot around here. That comes out of Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11, where the Bible says Jesus is our high priest, and he's the high priest of good things to come, Hebrews 9, chapter 9, verse 11. And... Um, a lot of times people want to, you know, say, no, no, Pastor Mark, good things are here. And yes, they are. That's, we certainly are, are thankful for what the Lord has done. But good things coming is about an attitude that our best days are still ahead of us. Um, amen. The rest of our lives is the best of our lives. Amen. And so, so we're looking forward to what God has for us, prepared for us in the future. Romans chapter 12, and let's begin at verse number 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. These verses, look at me for a moment. These verses are giving you and me instructions as to what you know, we need to do. There's this, you know lie, myth, deception that exists in the body of Christ today that somehow everything that happens is just God's doings and we're just along for the ride and that's just simply not true. Um, you know, he didn't choose what you had for breakfast this morning and the Bible makes it very clear that, that our Heavenly Father puts before you, the Bible says it this way, Behold, I set before you today life and death, blessing and cursing. You choose. And so, so many things that our choices affect and, and impact, and we know this, I and mean, we can try to come up with these crazy doctrines that, that somehow, you know, absolve us from any uh, responsibility, but you and I both know better than that uh, deep in our hearts. And so, we're to present ourselves a living sacrifice, holy, separated unto God, acceptable to God, and he says, your reasonable service, this is the least you can do, bare minimum, amen? Do not be conformed to this world, because the world is trying to pressure and and form us into a way of thinking and speaking and believing. But we're rising above that, amen? Because we're being transformed by the renewing of the reconditioning of our minds. That you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The will of God is what God desires, what God wants. Amen. And I've learned uh, some things in life, and one of the things I've learned is that what He wants is what I really do want also. Um, there may be times that my will conflicts with His will, but every time that happens, I'm wrong, He's right. What He chose for me and what He desired for me was, was, was better, and the end of it was better. And um, so, but notice He says that we may prove, that we may prove. And the idea behind proving something is that we bring forth evidence of it. We bring forth proof of it. And so I sometimes like to, I guess, summarize this verse by saying it this way, that, that as a living sacrifice, you become living proof 
of a living God, a living sacrifice becoming living proof of a living God. And, and proof that God's ways are best. Proof that what He says is not just outdated, fuddy-duddy, stick-in-the-mud kind of stuff, but, but that His ways are, are actually best. And for your life to become a living example of that, um, and, and, and literally where he makes an example out of you, not like your shop teacher made an example out of you for cutting up in class. I don't mean that. An example of his loving kindness, an example of his wisdom, an example of his um, abundance. Amen. And then the last thing, if I could clear up, because there's a lot of error in, all, in these all-important verses, proving what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Um, I heard someone even teaching this week that this is speaking of three different levels of God's will, that you've got the acceptable, you've got the good, and then you've got the perfect. And that's completely wrong. He's not talking about three different degrees or levels of God's will for your life. He's talking about His will for your life. And these three words translated acceptable, good, and perfect are all three adjectives describing His singular will. It basically means, um, you know, His... Uh, all-encompassing will. That word perfect means His all-encompassing, His, his good, beneficial, well-pleasing, all-encompassing. It's these kinds of words. Good, beneficial, well-pleasing, all-encompassing will of God for your life. And, and so especially that word perfect will of God, it literally means all-encompassing, meaning that God has a desire and a plan and a purpose for every area of your life. Amen. In other words, it's, it doesn't just involve like things you do on Sunday. Um, but his all-encompassing will means that there's no area or portion of your life that has escaped his love and his wisdom and what he desires for you. Now, let's move on to some things that we're going to talk about tonight. For I say through the grace given to me to everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly as God has dealt to each one a measure of faith. Now, here as we've pointed out numerous times, he's not telling you to think lowly of yourself. Um, as a matter of fact, notice he's asking you to think about how you think about yourself or what you think about yourself or how you view or see yourself. And we're going to get to this in just a moment. That's going to kind of be where we settle in tonight. Let's talk about a couple more things before we get there. So he's not telling you to think less of yourself. Um, he's not telling you to think lowly or poorly of yourself. He's not saying have a poor self-image or low self-esteem. That's not what he's saying. He's saying to think highly but not more highly than you should. And to think more highly of yourself than you should is to think that you don't need anybody else. To think that you can do it alone. To think that you can somehow fulfill God's purpose and destiny for your life without working together with other people in the body of Christ. Now, there's a run that I go through here that I go through often and I'm going to do it again very quickly tonight, all right? Every person in this room has a specific purpose and destiny for your existence. It was given to you, assigned to you in Christ Jesus before the world was formed. And you cannot fulfill that purpose, that destiny, that assignment unless you work together with other people. So if the destiny is specific, if the purpose is specific, and it can't be accomplished without other people, then the other people are not random, but they also are specific. Are you still with me so far? Jesus didn't say, give me 12, any 12 will do. He strategically picked the 12 men that he picked to be his disciples, even down to Judas Iscariot, 
strategically chosen as one whose heart was so hardened that nothing would change it, and he was the one who was chosen to be Jesus' betrayer. So when we talk then about your purpose, your destiny, and the need for other people to fulfill it, we're talking about not random people but specific people, which means there are people on planet Earth that you came out of your mother's womb looking for, people that you need, and you need them, and they need you. You need them as much as they need you, and they need you as much as you need them. Because you can never do what you were put on this earth to do without them. Amen. Amen. Are you hearing me tonight? This is really, really important. So he says that when we think of ourselves, we should not think more highly, but to think soberly. That word soberly there means um, at the root of it is salvation. In other words, to think in agreement with or according to the salvation that's, that we've received. Amen. In, in other words, to, to understand that you've, you are a born-again man. Are you, are you understand what I'm saying? Praise God. Um, that you're not like everybody else on planet earth if you've been born again. That you are a new creation, that you were once darkness, but now you've become light in the Lord. And because you are light in the Lord, Ephesians 5.8 says, walk as children of light, as those who have been born of light and not those who have been born of darkness. For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function... So we being many are one body. So we being many are one body. So we being many are one body. In Christ and individually members of one another. Individually members of one another. So one last thing that we see here is that every member has a function, but not the same function as the others. You were created by God again for a purpose, and you have a... I don't like using it this way because it almost sounds like you're playing or acting. And I don't mean it that way, but do you understand what I mean by a role to play? You have a part in this, a very important part, an integral part. It's your part. And it's the part that Father has assigned to you. And every member in the body of Christ, just like my physical body is made up of multiple members, and my thumb doesn't do the same thing as my knee. But my knee is important, my thumb is important, my hip is important, my ears are important, my liver is important, my kidney is important. All are important, right? Each one an individual member of one body, amen, that each member has a different function, amen, but, or let me say this way, each member has a function, but not the same function. So because you are a member of the body of Christ, you have a function. Now, he says to not think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. So he's not telling us a couple of things here. I've already said one. He's, this is not telling you to think lowly, but even let's rewind a little further. He's telling you to think of yourself. Okay? He's telling you to consider some things. For instance, one of my favorite ones is found in Romans, the sixth chapter. He speaks of Jesus' resurrection and how we were buried with Him and how we were raised together with Him. And so he then, towards the end of that, he says, reckon yourself resurrected. Consider yourself to be raised with Jesus to newness of life. Now, obviously he's telling us to do that because it's true, number one, but also he's telling you that you need to reckon yourself to be resurrected with Christ because it may not be 
readily obvious. It may not be crystal clear. It may not be that when you wake up in the morning on a Monday morning starting a new week that it's immediately clear when you look in the mirror that you have new life in Christ Jesus. That's why our minds have to make that connection with the truth in the Word of God. So he's saying to think of yourself, consider yourself. Now, here's my question for you this evening. How do you see yourself? This is important, right? How do you see yourself? This is one of the more basic, one of the more fundamental, yet because it is basic, because it is fundamental or foundational, it's one of the more important areas of the renewing of our minds. Because if we continue to see ourselves as we were before, Jesus came in before Jesus raised us up, before Jesus made us a new creation. If we continue to see ourselves as the person we were instead of the person we became in Christ, we will continue to live like the person we were even though we're not that person anymore. This is why the renewing of the mind is so tremendously important. So again tonight, how do you see yourself? Few things affect your life more than your opinion of yourself. When we talk about identity, and identity has become you know, one of these uh, uh, buzzwords in the body of Christ today, and thankfully so. It's an important truth. It's an important thing for us to learn. Can I come in there with you? I feel a little disconnected from you for some reason tonight. Amen. We're going to get these lights fixed soon. Soon and very soon. Amen. I'll come into the light. Amen. Can you see me better now? All right. Few things affect your life more than your opinion of yourself. And so perhaps you've heard people talk about your identity. You know, you need to know your true identity. We say things like, well, she's trying to find herself. And, and what we mean by that is trying to find who she really is. Jesus said He knew where He came from, He knew who He was, and He knew where He was going. Amen. So we see then that we need to know who we are. Your identity, or the way you identify yourself, it's what you believe to be true about yourself. Amen. Now, listen, I'm getting a little bit ahead, but there's a lot of error in our lives in, in the sense that we sometimes see ourselves in a way that is different from the way God sees us. Right? So I'm asking you tonight, how do you see yourself? Few things affect your life more than your opinion of yourself. Now, here is maybe a better way to answer the question. How does God see you? What is His opinion of you? You say, well, Pastor Mark, how in the world would I know that? By reading what He has said about you. Amen. Amen. Because He's had some things to say about you. Amen. The most powerful thing in any kingdom is the Word of the King. And your King has had some things to say about you. Your King has spoken, and He has spoken concerning you, concerning your identity, concerning His love for you, concerning His gifts to you, concerning your position before Him and who you are to Him and what He means to you and the love that He has for you and the sacrifices that He has made on your behalf. When you read scriptures like, what can a man give in exchange for his own soul? Or what would it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lost his soul? Sometimes I've referred to that as the book value for your life. 
words, if you've got an automobile to sell, if you've got an automobile to buy, there's a book value. Now, just because the book says that's what the car's worth, that don't mean you have to pay that. You may pay more if you want it really bad, or you may pay less if somebody's motivated to sell it. It's just kind of an established value. And so the book value, the book value for you is that your individual life is worth more to God than this entire planet that we all live on. But when it came to redeeming you, he didn't use planets. He paid more than book value. He paid more. In other words, you were worth more to him than this earth. And he put his money where his mouth is, so to speak, because he paid more for you than what this earth is worth or cost him. As a matter of fact, think about it. The Bible says that he loves you with the same love that he loves Jesus with. To know in your heart that those aren't words, when it came to his life for yours, that's the deal God made. That's the deal that Father made. And it was just one thing for him to say, man, I love you as much as I love Jesus. Oh, really? Well, how about giving Jesus in exchange for me? Well, you know, see, if he'd have started waffling, backing up on that, then that wouldn't have added much substance to that statement, right? But for him to say that he loves you as much as he loves Jesus, and then when it came to redeeming you, he sent Jesus to do it, well, there you go. So again, how does God see you? What is his opinion of you? What has he said about you? This is so important. I believe that you can actually define, listen to me very carefully, I believe that you can define spiritual growth by the degree to which you eliminate the gap between your opinion of yourself and God's opinion of yourself. Okay? In other words, let me, let me kind of give you an example here. God says of you and me in Christ Jesus that you are just as righteous before Him in His eyes as Jesus is. Now that's Father's opinion of you, and that is your true identity if you've been born of His incorruptible seed. Are you following me tonight? Amen. Now, if that's Father's opinion, but you still say crazy things like, I'm just a sinner saved by grace, or if you still say crazy things like, I'm just an addict trying to recover, or I'm just a recovering addict, or if you still say crazy things like, I'm a loser, or I can't ever get anything right, or blah, 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 well obviously you have a different opinion of yourself than your Heavenly Father. Amen. Now, again, you can define spiritual growth. So let me try to act it out for you, okay? His opinion of you is way up here, and it's the truth. Your opinion of you is way down here, and it's not. Spiritual growth can be defined by the closing of that gap. In other words, the more you see yourself through His eyes, the more you see yourself the way He sees you, the more you understand your identity from what He has said, what He has done, what He has uh, created in you, amen, the more spiritually developed, the more spiritually mature you are becoming in Christ Jesus. Just because you say you're not the righteousness of God doesn't mean that you're not. Just because you believe that you're not free, even though whom the Son has set free is free indeed, it doesn't mean that you're not free. It means you're not enjoying the freedom that you've been given. It means you're not enjoying the right standing that you've been given. But it doesn't change it because God produced it in you through the miracle of the new birth. But in order to enjoy that freedom, in order to enjoy that right standing, in order to enjoy that blessing and that prosperity, you've got to align your understanding of who you are in His eyes with His. Are you following what I'm saying? Alright, this is important stuff. Stuff we've preached on for 20 years and we'll keep on preaching on for the next 20 years. But let's try to break it down on something a little more practical, okay? 
how you see yourself determines how you think or what you believe about the way other people see you, including, this is important now, God. Let me say it again. What you think about yourself is also what you think other people think about you. Including God. Because, let's say for instance, you think that you're a loser. You think other people think you're a loser. Remember when the younger brother came home to his dad and he says, Dad, I'm unworthy to be called your son. Dad was putting a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet, robe on his back, right? The shoes represent freedom. The robe represents right standing. The ring represents authority and full restoration as a member of the family. While his dad is restoring him, he is continuing to say, continually saying out of his mouth, I'm unworthy, I'm unworthy, I'm not deserving, I shouldn't be called your son, I'm not your son because of the things I've done, and, and just make me like one of your hired servants. See, because he saw himself as unworthy, he saw his father as unwilling even though his father ran to him, fell on his neck and kissed him, said, my son has returned home again. He was dead. He's alive again. He's already got the servants killing the fatted calf and, and going to all the community around them to invite people to a feast in honor of his son. And the son can't quit talking about how unworthy he is. And because he sees himself as unworthy, he's viewing his father as unwilling in spite of what his father is doing. He still thinks his dad is not going to love him, his dad is not going to accept him, that his dad is not going to restore him, while his dad has loved him, accepting him, and restoring him. His dad is restoring him, and he doesn't believe that his dad will restore him, even though his dad has, has already restored him. Compare that to the days leading up to his departure from his dad's house, right? He didn't think he was unworthy of that inheritance when he went and asked for it, did he? He didn't think his dad was, was going was gonna to stiff him, did he? In other words, before he went, he thought he was completely worthy of his inheritance, and he thought his dad had such a heart of compassion that he would surely give it to him if he asked. Yes? Then he goes, lives in a faraway country, experiences all the things that he experiences, shames himself, experiences all kinds of rejection, wastes everything, and it takes a tremendous toll on his opinion of himself. He comes home not just with a poor opinion of himself, not just with a wrong opinion of himself, he comes home with a wrong opinion of his father. Because he translated how he saw himself into the way that he thought other people saw him. Including God. You getting this? Now why is this so important? 
Because what you believe about the way other people see you determines how you respond and relate to them. Right? You respond differently to someone that you think, somebody you love, but you think they're mad at you. Right? Come on now, any husbands in the house? Amen. <laughs> you know, the wife's mad, you tend to kind of walk on eggshells a little bit, right? In other words, you respond differently to someone based upon how you think they see you. You, you relate to them, you respond to them differently. And what's true of the way we respond to other people is also true of, of the way we respond to God. If your opinion of yourself is that you deserve to be punished and that you're unworthy, and you view God as unwilling to answer your prayers, listen, we, we can sit here, we said something this morning for those of you who weren't here. We, we need to do two things when we hear the Word of God. We need to look at how we're measuring up to it, how we're, you know, doing as far as fulfilling this and walking this out and applying it to our lives. But if we're not careful, that's all we will do. We'll read certain Scriptures and we'll give ourselves a pat on the back because we're making progress. Thank God for progress, but we also need to look at how, how these areas you know, that the Word of God is speaking to us concerning how we can improve. Not how does this... Uh, you know, you read stuff like thinking more highly of yourself than you ought to think. Very easy. Very, very easy. Um, let me, I, amen. I'm going to talk about this in greater detail. I've talked to some folks about it individually, but just in my own life, you know, we, we preached around here for uh, a long time on selfishness and, and pride and, and how we need to, you know, get these things out of our lives that pride in our hearts will cause God to resist us, but humility will position us because the Bible says He gives grace and even more grace to the humble. Well, it's very easy for us to look at areas in our lives where we're progressing in our humility. That's what I'm saying. Very easy for us to see, well, you know, man, praise God, I've... I volunteered here, I served there, I, I helped in the nursery, I, I, I was a greeter, I, I helped clean up after a fellowship, I, I've been trying to do better listening to my family and, and be a... You know, it's, it's very easy for us to focus in on the different ways that we're making progress and that becoming a blinding factor in our lives to the other areas that we are completely ignoring. Right? About 110 days ago, I was in here on an afternoon and Again, this is a challenging thing for me to talk about. But I'm like, hey man, I just feel like it's time, so I just talk about it for a minute. I was just crying out to God about, um, let's just say, my physical health. And I've talked a little bit of, about the gift of repentance that the Lord gave me. And um, this is what I've learned about Him. And it, 
I'm not trying to scare you off on this, but if, if you really get serious before the Lord, He'll tell you what you need to do. And I was crying out to Him about my weight. And uh, it's been a struggle in, in my, most of my adult years. And I don't mean to say it like He just bashed me, okay, but he said it with the tremendous love like only he can, but also with just the laser-like precision that only he can. And the Lord told me four things. The first thing he told me was that the devil was trying to kill me with food. The devil was trying to kill me with food. The second thing he told me was Son, you talk all the time about not being selfish, but the way you eat is so selfish. <clears throat> Wait, there's more. <laughs> the third thing he told me was, you talk all the time about being humble. But it's very arrogant and very prideful for you to believe that you can eat anything you want to eat anytime you want to eat it and it not affect you. It's arrogance. It's pride. The fourth thing he told me was I was setting a very poor example for my family and for the people I serve. And I cried a puddle of snot and tears right there. And he led me to five books, and we'll talk about that. The men in the, men in the Ephesians class have asked me to teach a class on these things. I've discussed some of it with them, and and, um, and I'm going to do that soon. I'm going to do that soon. Um, I've been breaking this down into 30-day 30 um, 30 brackets. I just completed my 90th day. Today is day 91. And um, this is not a diet. With the Lord's help, this is the way I live my life now. Are you understand what I'm saying? But now... I'm telling you all of that, telling you all of that to say I preached almost two years on the subject, subjects of selfishness and pride. And I could point to, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back, but I, I can point to a lot of things, stuff that Pam and I have given selflessly, things that we have done for people. In other words, I, I could... I could chart all kinds of progress in my personal life, ministerial life. You see what I'm saying? When it comes to um, you know, being selfless and being humble. It's a very dangerous thing if you only look at how you're progressing and allow that to blind you to other areas that you're ignoring. Right? It's very clear to me now, but I was blinded to the fact that I was being selfish in the way I was eating, and I was being arrogant and prideful, right, in the way that I was eating. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It, I mean, I, I'm not, <laughs> uh, I, amen, I'm just telling you, I'm just telling you. See, here's what I've learned as well. Any behavior in your life that you can't control there's a belief at the heart of it that's empowering it, right? See, 
a belief as I, I know it's like Pastor Mark, you know, this is stuff that kids can understand. Well, I'm just telling you, amen. That's why I'm, it's a gift of repentance, right? But the belief, and, and thank God, right? He showed it to me. I believed I could eat anything I wanted to eat in any amount I wanted to eat it, any time I wanted to eat it, and it wouldn't affect me. That is, that, is, that is so stupid, but that's where I was. Amen? Amen? I had no intention of saying that tonight, but I feel better. Amen. Amen. Thank you, brother. I'm feeling good. I'm feeling good. I'm waking up before the alarm. Uh, I'm not crashing in the afternoons. Um, I have more mental clarity, more mental focus. And um, amen. It's because what I asked the Lord was, show me what my body needs, what you created it to have, and that's what I'm going to eat. Amen. That's what I'm going to eat. And um, wow, good things. It's 7.05. I hadn't, anyway, let me try to finish here. How you think other people see you determines how you respond and relate to them, including God. One last passage, Numbers chapter 13, verse 33. This is kind of the go-to verse for this subject, and it's talking about when 12 spies went into the promised land, and 10 of the spies came back with what the Bible says was an evil report, not, not just a a bad report, not just a negative report, not just a fair report or a balanced report, but an evil report. And it was evil because it left faith out of the equation, number one. And number two, it was evil because it was the report that swayed the hearts of all the other people, with the exception of a handful. And the two spies, by the way, that came back with a, with a good report were, were, of course, Joshua and Caleb. But this was towards the end of their report. This is what the, the negative report. They said, there we saw the giants, the descendants of Anak came from the giants, and we were like grasshoppers in our own sight, and so we were in their sight. They saw themselves as grasshoppers. They saw themselves as bugs to be squashed. And because they saw themselves as bugs to be squashed, the natural progression from that is... So no doubt the people in that land also see us as grasshoppers. Now, their opinion swayed the millions, and instead of being emboldened by faith, they were diminished by fear, and they wandered around in the wilderness for 40 years until an entire generation died, including Moses. God raised up a new leader. His name was Joshua. And the Joshua generation finally crossed over in the Jordan River into God's promised land for them. Yes, are you following me? Now, Joshua also sent spies into the land. And the inhabitants of the land found out that they were there and tried to capture them. And there was literally a, 
a brothel owner named Rahab. She was a prostitute. She hid the spies from the men who meant them harm. And after the would-be captors were gone, she asked if they would reward her kindness to them by preserving her and her family's lives when they finally came to take what the true and living God said was theirs. And she went on to say this. Are you ready? She said, this is the New Windsor International Translation. We've been shaking in our boots for 40 years. We heard of how your God is with you. We heard of how your God delivered you from Egypt. We heard of how your God drowned Pharaoh's armies in the Red Sea. And we have been waiting in fear and terror for 40 years, waiting for the day that you guys would come. So notice, they said, we're grasshoppers in our own eyes, so we have to be grasshoppers in their eyes, when just the opposite. The people at Jericho did not see them as grasshoppers. They saw them as an as an undefeatable foe. As an undefeatable foe. Wow. Wow. Well, let me, I know I'm out of time. Can I, can I say this one last thing, please? I thought that I would be here this morning, and I'm not even here tonight, but I need to say this, and we'll get into it more next week. So much of the mind renewal in the body of Christ today is focusing on who I am in Christ. I'm not saying that's wrong, but listen to me, please. This approach reveals the me-first mindset that is in the world all around us. Right? Any renewing of the mind that focuses on your identity in Christ and leaves out members of one another is at best incomplete. Are you ready for this now? You have no function, therefore you have no purpose separate from the body. My thumb's really, really important. It's one member of my body and it's an important member. It has no purpose detached from, separated from my body. It's one thing for my, for my thumb to know who it is. You know, not trying to be a pinky. My thumb. Created to be a thumb, want to be a thumb. My thumb knows its place. Right? My thumb, I don't wear my wedding ring on my thumb. It's not what it was created for. Wear the wedding ring right here, okay? Thumb, some, again, my thumb knows its purpose, right? Knows its identity in Mark. Amen. I'm a thumb in Mark Winslet. I'm so honored to be a thumb in Mark Winslet. My eyes a thumb in Mark Winslet. I have crafted many things from wood and from stained glass and, 
And we've put our hands to many things that God has prospered. And it's such a blessing, such a humble honor to be a thumb in Mark Winslet. Okay? So my thumb can know exactly who it is in me, but if it has no idea its relationship to the other members closest to it, if my thumb has no idea what it has to do with my index finger, my middle finger, my ring finger, and my pinky finger, first of all, it's basically worthless to me. For it to know who it is as an individual, but not know who it is in relationship to the other members of the body, beginning with the members that are closely located with it, how can it ever function as it was intended or created to function? You follow me tonight? If we can understand this from the human body, then it gives us a bigger picture of our identity in Christ. And so, please, let the Holy Spirit help you seek the Word of God, confess the Word of God concerning who you are individually in Christ Jesus. But if all we ever do is learn that we're a thumb, but never learn what the thumb has to do with the other members, then we're coming up short. We're coming up short. All right, stand with me. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. you get anything out of this tonight? Amen. I feel like what the, what the Holy Spirit's really breathing on tonight is not, not for condemnation, all right? I've heard so many people tell me over the years, you know, Pastor, if, you know, if you only knew how I used to talk, if you only knew what I used to do, and a lot of times those statements are used to ignore or justify or explain away some area in their life that needs to be dealt with, but they're refusing to deal with it. Right? It's like, well, what's a little bit of this when I used to do a whole lot of that? And I've come such a long way and I've made so much progress and somebody pat me on the back and get off my back because I need to work on this, this, and this. That's wrong. That's the devil's deceiving you. The devil's deceiving you. Amen. So, thank God for the progress we've made and it's okay to evaluate that progress. But while you're doing that, make sure that you're not just exempting yourself from dealing with other things that the Lord keeps bringing to your attention. Amen? Amen? Father, we love you. We thank you for this time together this evening. We thank you for the things that you're saying to us, the things you're revealing to us, Lord. I thank you for helping bring our hearts to attention tonight. Lord, to the things that you're saying to us, not just collectively, Father, but individually, specifically. I thank you, Father, tonight that we are, we're, we're learning more and more about who we are in you. But, Father, we're not going to somehow build a wall and only learn about our identity in Christ as individuals, but Lord, where the real function comes in is understanding not just who we are in relationship to you, but who we are in relationship to one another. Father, thank you for revealing these things to us. Thank you, Father, for a great week ahead. Thank you, Father, for the progress that you have planned for us this week in many areas. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Thank you so much for being here this evening. Have a great week. We love you. We'll see you Wednesday, if not before. Some of you I'll see in the morning. Uh, good things coming. Praise God.